thing is, the, the chat, chat, chat right, record. You don't have a record right. of it? It's up there. No, it's pretty far, far up, is it? It really is, because we started talking about spinning while sniping or some nonsense. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. I was trying to write the sniper. If you can introduce her as that, and we can try and explain it for the rest of the day. <laughs> side order, rogue trader, and... Hello and welcome to another episode of Player 2 Plays. No, actually, that's a wrong one. That's completely off. You're rolling with I'm... it. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Player 2 Pixel Cast. This is episode 128. You, everybody can just completely ignore that first bit. Um, I'm your host for this episode, Ken, and joining me today is Tim. Hey! Hello! I don't know why I'm making my voice go on this long. I've just realized that I have like two desktop audios recording at the same time, so I hope this is going to sound okay. Okay, uh, and Renee. Hello. Hello. Wow, I, 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 I've been doing a couple of Player 2 Plays videos recently, so I just com- I got completely into that mode. Uh, that is absolutely B-roll. That you can, that's, the, that's the bit, that's the stinger um, that you cut into the episode. But uh, on this episode, we'll be talking about JRPGs. What is it? What were they then? What are they now? What even is a JRPG? What even is an RPG? What is game? What is um, game? We're gonna, yeah, yeah, unpack literally everything. Yeah, and, you know, we are absolutely three experts who know everything about everything about everything about this particular genre, so I am sure we'll be all, we're all coming from an extremely researched, well-evidenced, studied position. Only podcast um, you're gonna need, baby. <laughs> Everybody I need to stop shaking my head. I'm making myself dizzy. Everybody's shaking their head. But uh, one thing we are not definitely not are outcasts. Oh wow! Tim. You get you get. Are you sure about that one? <laughs> and yeah. you have been playing um, a sequel to an obscure like mid '90s adventure game. Yeah, this is. This is a weird... Yeah, we're already going to start getting confused about what genre is, even all over again, I think. But uh, a few years... More than a few years ago. I think it's more than half a decade ago now. Time has no meaning. Life is like a roll of toilet paper. The more you take away, the lesser is left over, and it spins faster and faster and faster. Um, That weird analogy out of the way... Yeah, they're making a sequel to Outcast. Several years ago, they remade it. Um... And now, coming in like three weeks or so, is Outcast A New Beginning. Um, first thing I noticed when I... I should actually clarify, I am actually only playing the demo. Because there seem to be a lot of those dropping at the moment that may become a whole point of discussion for a future podcast episode. Mm. But yeah, first thing I noticed, this was it straight up said THQ Nordic. And I was like, huh, this is the game that they're still putting out? So I believe this is basically still embracing. They've cancelled like 30 fucking games or something, including a Deus Ex game. And this is a thing that survived? I wonder if they were just so far through the production cycle that they were just like, it's just quicker to finish it. I mean, you'd probably think so, but oh man, this game is not ready. (laughs) Um... That's kind of like fits with what the game was when it first came out, though. I mean... 
The first one, I have such vague memories of it. I think everybody our age, like everybody in their 30s or 40s, probably has a vague memory <laughs> of this. Because yeah. like, it was it was weirdly unique because it didn't use polygons. It was using voxels or whatever. So it kind of looked amazing and unfinished at the same time. Yep. And like it was always like a little unclear. It's like, exactly what is this? It looks kind of cool, but no. Nah. And so I was like, you know, I remember that. Uh, you know, and I want to. And oh, right, they did announce a new one. I, I'm, I am still curious. A part of me is still 15 years old, like looking at his strange screenshots in an issue of a magazine. I go, I want to check out what that is all about. And man, it is rough. And I, I, ah, uh, I want, ah, uh, this is. It's so close to release. I, I can't like really fall back on the optimism of like, oh, like maybe this is an early build. Because even then, I don't think it's, I, 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 I just don't think this is going to be very good, and I'm just going to trash the thing before it comes out. But yeah, the demo is out there if you want to like play it yourself and judge. Maybe just the PS5 version has some issues, but there's also some designs off there. But it, so I was playing that literally. I had a tiny bit of time before this podcast. Is like, what am I going to do with my time? I'm going to play that, and I kind of wish I'd done something different. So the o- it really feels like the only reason I ended up playing this or stuck with this for more than 10 minutes is so I could have something to talk about on this show. Yeah. So I've got a question. Like, yeah. I, like, like you said, people around sort of my generation would be familiar, maybe not with the game specifically, but definitely from a couple of key yeah. images of that game, right? Mm-hmm. I think the, it's the, I think the box cover is particularly iconic with the, the guy, the bald-headed guy with the metal, like John, the visor kind of thing, yeah, visor thing over the face. It's there's a very distinct, like late nineties, mid nineties look about that game. Oh my god, the look has not aged well. So if you yeah. like the way I describe the entire visual appearance of this is, just imagine like that sci-fi book you bought, like just kind of when the library was like clearing out its stock. Just imagine the cover of that, and that is kind of like the aesthetic. This is it's very much a book you bought at the airport. <laughs> it's a book you bought at a church fair, to be honest. Like it's oh. <laughs> <laughs> the airport's too yeah. good for air- No, airport <laughs> books at this point are all the sort of dumb self advice shit that you expect Oprah to get behind. Alright. But this game, I guess like this is a sequel and what you've played, is it like a third person thing? Is it, it a first person thing? It's, so is in it a scooter in is screenshots it-, it could be mistaken as as a jazzed up remake of the first one. So it's definitely kind of giving the perspective and the general color palette, like the kind of generic color, hyper colorful alien planet color palette in perspective. It runs like a dog's breakfast, at least on PS5. Um, I, that, maybe that's a little bit mean. It runs like a PS3 game. Like it's clearly targeting 60 and it's, sorry, targeting 30 frames per second. And it's not hitting it particularly consistently. And that really stands out when most games these days, if they don't run 60, generally lock to that 30 pretty well. But, like, there's just a bunch of other stuff. Like, so your lead character who just looks like the most generic, boring-ass white dude in a orange shirt. I guess they... I guess Nasty Uniform's orange now. I guess, like, got that bit of, like, how the future works, right? He, like, he just... Like, it's just, like, the writing is really bad. Like, he has quips for himself, you know, just because the character has to talk... And it's just, like, bland, generic writing. It's like, wow, that was fun. Like, if he uses his jetpack. You have a jetpack, which is not as much fun to use as you would think. But what, I, I guess, 
the thing is, what do you do? Do you do you walk about? I'm trying to figure. Walk? So the demo is broken into three pieces, and I haven't had a chance to play them. All. I actually initially thought it was a difficulty selector because you know how like they nobody uh-huh. says like easy, medium, hard anymore. Except this game, when you actually get to that point, this game does say easy, medium, hard. I think, or easy, normal, or difficult, or whatever. Um, but it basically has exploration, story, and combat, which sounds like a way of saying exploration would be medium and combat would be hard and story would be easy but no it's like three different chunks of the demo exploration which i did was just 20 minutes and you can just fly around the planet but you and you can shoot some stuff but you can't interact with anybody or anything and combat which i didn't touch because they were more generous than i wish they were the story bit and they give you 20 minutes for each of these but the 20 minutes would um pause whenever you were speaking to a character Again, I cannot stress how bad this dialogue is. I spoke to three random villagers and had the exact same conversation, bar a couple of words, three times. And it was literally like, what is this? Followed by villagers saying, here, let me information dump for you. And then, you're welcome, dude. Yeah, that sounds pretty terrible, to be honest. And I I think that the... If you want to demo your game, the worst thing you can do is to split it up into separate sections because you won't see how they work together. Um, yes, and I mean I can I can kind of see why you'd want to do that. What was more worrying is you kind of load it up and it goes. If you want to know the controls for, and keep in mind I'm playing on a console here, for controller or mouse and keyboard, please press the start button. So they haven't even like made they haven't even like made the slightest changes for like PC to um. PC to um, console, but like they haven't even bothered to put a control kind of summary card up before you start playing. It's like, please go into the options menu and look at what all the buttons do. For- fortunately, if you've played a third-person action open-world-ish whatever game before, you probably mostly know what the buttons do already, but man, it felt like very rough and very rushed. It even shows you the version of Unreal that it's running on. Like you can't act like in the you can't go down and click on it, but it's like there in the options menu, with like yeah, ten like different rough. decimal points behind it. It it's rough, um, and I don't. And the worst thing is, I think even if it was more polished, it probably still wouldn't be very good. Yeah, I was gonna say like like is it is it rough? Like because it hasn't had time to. Is it like a a, a rough diamond that can be polished, or is it just yeah? A is, lump it, of coal? is it salvageable? Yeah, I, I mean, you could probably make it smoother to play, but it, I just don't know why I'm playing this. Because I mean, again, things like unless all of the d- bad dialogue is placeholder, which I, mm. I highly, highly doubt, because they're just different voice. The voice, the voice acting reminds me of Ultima Nine, which is a very specific call out. But if you've played that game, you probably have a very clear idea of what I'm getting at. That is a that is a very specific call out that I do not get, but I think no, I don't get it either. I'm sorry. <clears throat> instead of lingering on on Outcast, uh, yeah. let's move over to the side with uh, Renee. Please like your game, you Renee. Play. No, it's okay. I like my game. <laughs> so I'm playing Splatoon Three Side Order. Yeah. Because Ken was much more worried about the segue that he didn't actually explain what game I was playing. Yes, I was I was very focused on the segue. <laughs> and um I did not have a roguelite slash roguelike 
version of Splatoon on my bingo card for games. You should have, because that is literally every DLC for every big game now for the last two years. Yeah, but I was like, I'm not sure how you could do that with Splatoon. Um, So essentially the DLC is a really interesting mixture of... Essentially, you get challenges. There's a tower that you have to continue that you have to challenge, and there's it starts off with I think ten floors, but after you defeat it the first time, the enemy makes it so that it's thirty floors, and every ten floors has a boss. But the idea is to challenge it over and over again, and each time you do it, you get stronger because you can hack into the system and make it easier. Um, people listening are probably like, what? Yeah, it's it's yeah, a I'm lot to get confused. your head around. Um, so essentially, each floor has a challenge, and you have to complete that challenge. However, you get three different options of what you can do. Sometimes they'll be easier. Sometimes they'll be harder. The really hard ones are called rigorous, which oh. I haven't had a chance to test out yet. I was like, I might wait until my characters are a lot stronger. Essentially, um. Is there a risk reward to this? So, like, the harder challenges? Yep. All right. So you'll get more mem bucks, which is the currency, which then gets turned into a different currency. I'm not quite sure why. Um, Mem bucks, you'll get more of them, and you will often get better chips. So what happens is that you've got a pellet, and that tells you what weapons you're using, so your loadout. And there are a bunch of different pellets based on characters in the game. So, for example, if you play the first Splatoon and the second Splatoon, there's two characters, uh, Kelly and Marie. Kelly Mm -hmm. uses a roller. Marie uses a sniper rifle, known as a charger. So... Does she spin um, around? No, she doesn't. She did shoot her sister in the face, though. That's Sorry. significantly less cute and Cousin. funny. Was <laughs> oh, to save her. She was wearing hypnogoggles, so she had to shoot her in the face to get rid of them. Um, right. But, but yeah, so if you use Kelly's palette, you your main weapon is a roller. If you use Marie's palette, your main weapon is a charger. And you have to do the entire tower with those weapons. Um... It's, it's it sounds it's really hard to explain because it is so very complicated and I'm. Do you have to review this? Do you have to like put have proper to words this to this well. at some point? Yeah, because there's like there's this whole so Membox turn into Pris when you come out of the tower. The pellets are filled with color chips and the color chips have special tones and if you get special tones together, you'll get more Pris and like you know there's a whole bunch of. This sounds weirdly really... convoluted for a game that like largely appeals to eleven year olds. I think I would prefer it to. I think I'd prefer to see more fans that are eleven year olds. You shouldn't. You should sit, hear the adults in the Splatoon Facebook group. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it's. It does sound really convoluted, but honestly, it's still a lot of fun. Um, like so, the challenges. There are set challenges, and they've they've kind of been adjusted depending on what um, weapons you're using as well. So, for example, if you've got a roller, you're not going to need something like a lot of distance or range weapon, like a lot of range color chips. So 
I feel like I'm still not really explaining this really well. Probably also helps if people understand Splatoon better than... I guess I have one key question for this is... So this actually... Is this more of a single-player kind of content? It's only yeah. single-player. Yeah. That was good. That was one of my main things that I was going to ask. Like, in me trying to get I'm my... struggling to understand how this would work multiplayer, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's not multiplayer. It's um, Octo Expansion, which was the Splatoon 2 DLC, was also single-player. So it's essentially a continuation of the single-player mode... So the story mode. Hmm. So, because um, in my review, I was going to compare it to Octo Expansion a lot because the thing is that with Octo Expansion, it was really well received because essentially in Octo Expansion, you were given a task that you had to do and you either completed the task or you didn't. Um, obviously, they've expanded that so much for a side order. Hmm. But one of the main issues with Octo Expansion was that it, some of the tasks were incredibly difficult. The two right. that I know that most people had a lot of difficulty with was Girl Power, and I think you had to dodge all... You weren't allowed to be hit by any ink for a minute. Oof. Which is quite... Yeah. Which is I quite hard. I imagine that would be difficult. I imagine it would be incredibly difficult. Well, I guess... Um from that single-player game, we'll move on to another single-player game. There uh, we go, we're getting our segues back. <laughs> um, not really. It's not really a segue. Uh, all I just said was, we're moving on to another... <laughs> yet another single-player game, which is Warhammer 40,000 40k Rogue Trader. Um people of the show, people here, they all know that I'm a bit of a 40k law apologist, so I do like that world. I don't play the tabletop game. I do like the the premise. I mean, that seems uh, fair. The game is complicated and expensive. Uh, Rogue the Trader, traditional a western-style RPG. Sorry? I mean, that seems fair. It's like the game is expensive and somewhat complicated, but the world is yeah. everywhere now. Yeah, it is. It is. It's There's so much, like, 40k stuff everywhere. Um, but this is a, like, old-school CRPG. Like, later in the show, we'll be talking about JRPGs, but when people talk about CRPGs... Um, this is kind of what, what, what they're talking about. Uh, and this is not what I was imagining. You said Road Trader. Nope. I was thinking you're playing another space trucking simulator or something. No, 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 not for this one. It's, it is a, it's, there's a whole history and, and heritage to this particular brand within the 40k and, and one that I'm not entirely familiar with. But the idea is, you know, mm. uh, as a rogue trader, you are in a position of high, power because you are given a lot of um agency and authority to be because your your i guess your commercial empire is so far away from the center of the imperium of man that you kind of have um well you, your authority comes from the fact that you are the only representative of the emperor in a very far flung corner of the universe and you have a lot of money anyway that all of that by the side it's a very old school like crpg you've got a party uh you've got classes 
you've got lots of skills. Um, when you go into battle, <clears throat> you're almost always at a three-quarter isometric um, view, uh, like like an Icewind Dale or yeah, I'm a... I'm looking at screenshots now. It is very traditional. It's Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Definitely not 3. It's Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Icewind Dale, that sort of, that sort of you know, that, that sort of uh, perspective. You've got a party to manage. Uh, you've got a lot of dialogue and, and side stories and main stories and a lot of written dialogue and people talking um, about various things. You're making um, the computer's making dice rolls on whether you, you succeed on char- charisma checks and lore checks and intelligence checks to see whether you, you um, uh, succeed at various tests to get more information or have more conversation or you know more dialogue options open up to you or more combat options up to open up to you um, as you're leveling up your character there's so many skills there's traits and skills and abilities and they're all different things <laughs> so many 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 stats to uh, tinker around with um, to a point where Every time you level up, the game just tells you these are your two recommended upgrades out of a possible 15 to 20. <laughs> That's a few. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll just, I'll just take the recommended and just keep on moving. Um, combat's interesting. I have dialed it down to easy so that I can just move through and just, just exist in the world rather than struggle against the system. Um, I will be doing a play to plays uh, video for this. Um, I've been very, very fortunate in getting a key from the from the PR crew, um, which I'm very thankful for. But it's it's old school. Like you have to really like that sort of game. I think um, there is a way to min max that game just to get like the perfect overlap of skills between one character to another. Um, you've got your standard sniper sniper classes. You've got your standard like fighter warrior up close f- uh, classes. You've got your um, buff and debuff magician type sorcerer classes. Like yeah, it's very old school. Um, this is by Owlcat Games, the people who made the Pathfinder uh, computer games and the car games, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, Pathfinder Kingmaker. And Pathfinder: Wrath of the Righteous. Um, so, if you're a fan of those games, yeah, yeah, old school, old school Rogue Trader, old school computer RPG, and it'll uh, run on an old school PC as well. I looked at those settings; I can still run it. It actually came out late last year. Just there are so many Warhammer yeah. games now; I can't keep track. Yeah, this is one of this is one of those ones that really like that like old school Warhammer 40k fans would be familiar with that at least this particular. Uh, offshoot of the 40k world the whole rogue trader stuff it went away it was like popular in the in um, and yeah it's a it's a relatively new game like december last year i think it was um and yeah it's 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 lots of warhammer it's a lot of warhammer which <laughs> that's your I thing congratulations I don't, I don't mind I don't mind it it's pretty good I like it um yeah uh Road Trader 
But I think on that particular note, we might just take a break, go into some music, and when we come back, we're going to be talking all about JRPGs. Yeah. We're back uh, for this particular for this half of the show. We're going to be talking about JRPGs. Um, this, what is it? The genre? Where did it come from? Where is it now? There used to be a very distinct uh, line in the sand as to what an JRPG was, particularly I think in the 16-bit era, and that J means Japanese. I mean. Yeah, I think uh, no, it, it straight up does. I mean, the initialism it straight up does, but I think it's it's just nowadays like does that it's a style? Term, it's a style, but does that term even mean anything anymore? Well, the oh, thing is, is that most less. people you say a JRPG, and they go, "Oh yes, Final Fantasy and anime," and that's yeah. the thing that they think of. Yeah, um, that sort of thing. So we're going to be talking, breaking it down. We're going to be looking into definitions, understandings, parameters, scope, what is or is not a JRPG, and what are some of our favorites, or, you know, do we love or hate the genre? Um, Why do we put this, why do we sort of other this particular genre of um, 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 RPG? Can we start there? Yeah. So I'm just thinking, like, I'm, I'm just so fascinated how... I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, like, the whole world is, like, more connected now, like, local media for game stuff just does, like, IGNAU basically doesn't have a budget anymore, because why? Like, it's just, everything's coming down from the mothership, it doesn't, we don't need, like, a local magazine, which kind of sucks, because I wish Hyper still existed. Um, but it's, like, fascinating the way they, like, worked with, um, game development, like, where for the longest time there literally was, Japanese RPGs were like this, and Western RPGs, or what we would call CRPGs, were like this, and it was just a clear line in the sand. It was, like, it's super weird to think about in hindsight. Yeah. I remember... I, I, this this is gonna bug me for the rest of this episode, but I remember reading... or coming across a, an article just not too long ago, four to five months ago, less than half a year, Talking about like how JRPGs in itself is not really a genre, or at least the developers of that particular type of game didn't view itself as a genre, but rather that term was coined by well, effectively people in the West, like yeah, because it well, was, that makes sense because was, we would it's... it was like these are our type of RPGs and those are those type of RPGs. Well, it's kind of like saying of... like Chinese people don't call Chinese food Chinese food; they just call it 
food. Food. Yeah. Food. Yeah. 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 Correct. Exactly. That and that sort of thing. And this came from a place where people were making games like Wizardry and um um the Baldur's Gate. I mean, although Baldur's Gate is probably a little bit more modern, but I yeah. was going to say when when you think of like a traditional RPG, you tend to think of something that's more like Dungeons and Dragons in yeah. the West. You know, medieval and those sorts of times with magic and you know very standard westernized magic whereas japanese ones are often quite different yeah and also very specific uh ways of like character creation and character stats like the building of these are your stats these are your skills it's all very D D. like it it is very um inspired by drawn from that dungeons and dragons tradition so the Ultimas and the Wizardries and all sort of draw their lineage from lineage from that particular way of let's make D and D but for the computer. Yeah. And let's have parties and let's have a rogue, let's have a thief. Let's Even have, when you yeah. like move away from the D and D like so if you go to something similar to Fable, it's mm. still very similar. It's still very westernized and it's they've all just got that one kind of idea in mind. Well, all the thinking, think all the roads of thinking kind of still kind of go back there. And I feel like yeah. I should have researched this more, but also this is just a podcast and not some in-depth feature. But mm-hmm. I think my basic understanding is that like Japan didn't really have a D&D moment. It's like some of the developers no. got the Western RPGs and interpreted D&D. So what they were inspired by were the already the mechanics as represented into in a video game as opposed to like the original dice and cardboard. Right. So I don't think of dice when I think of Japanese RPGs or JRPGs no. at all. But like dice, free, like the thought process frequently goes back to these cubes. If, if you think of a JRPG, like if you look at turn-based ones like Chrono Trigger and stuff like that, when you do an attack, it is generally, it's either going to hit or it isn't. It's not by a roll of the dice. It's just whose stats are better. Mostly. Yeah. I mean, the numbers still vary a little bit. Like it's, I was going to say... It's more spongy, like, I guess, like, more elastic. Well, well, I mean, I think with, with, with a game... I like, mean, there's obviously I, status effects and stuff that does adjust yeah. that, but... But I think, like, I was going to say, like, I think even Baldur's Gate 3, I think they were genuinely just trying to mimic, like, dice rolls. Yeah, like, that's some, it. It's not like a roll of... It's not a genuine roll of the dice. Yeah, but... With the JRPGs, as well. Yeah, it's saying. not like they're not trying to... Like, oh, this is your stat plus how many roller dice. Like, I think quite a lot of the, um, like, back end, behind the scene systems, like, all the, your two hit chances, your hit chances, your hit percentages, and that sort of thing, they are still trying to simulate um, a dice roll. I think Japanese are, yeah, the Japanese do percentages to a certain degree. Percentages, but but there's directly dice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But like instead of that instead of talking about I guess like comparisons between the two, that's like in your mind, either one of you, like what do you think are the most defining traits of a JRPG? I think at this point it's coming down to themes and aesthetic. As well, much as anything else. And the lack of dice. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that you you know it's a JRPG because it has no dice. Almost. Um, Almost. It's one of those, like, what's the thing that people talk, say about porn? It's like, I don't know what's porn and what's art, but I know it when I see it. 
Isn't porn, like, allowed to exist because it is technically a type of art and that's, like, a legal loophole in the US, or at least... Yeah, I know, it is, but, but, but like, like that sort of, like, you, it's very hard to define what it is until you see it. It's like, yeah, that is a thing. That, but I think, like... I think it's a combination of the mechanics, the story, and the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, with Western, a lot of them, it's like, you know, your dragons are usually always your four-legged ones, your... Heroes are usually muscular, and they usually wield a sword. It's usually a sword and a shield. You know, the the sorcerers usually have long beards and stuff. So it's it's kind of sticks to its own stereotype, but at the same time, so JRPGs will have, have their own stereotypes that are completely different to the Western ones. And I think it's maybe the thing that defines them is their tropes. Yeah, but what would you say those tropes are? Well, something that I have noticed with the story is that there's always, if like, a- in, I was going to say, in the Western ones, like, if there's a, um, a re- something really bad, like, the world is in danger, you have to save it. And it's generally a much smaller scale, whereas in Japanese RPGs, a lot of the time it's like, let's go destroy God. Oh, yeah, we're going to, you do actually end up fighting God. I'd say so. For example, the healer in a again, we're, I mean, we are casting a wide blanket here. But if you've got a healer yep. character in your JRPG, there is a weirdly high percentage chance that sh- that it is a young woman from a mysterious civilization that you don't know anything about at the start of the game. Yes. Yeah. And and often end up pe- being a priestess or something. If it's yeah, Final Fantasy kind of X, yeah. Or or a, or some type of like divine figure that has lost their their deified some status. sort of mystery like maybe it's more of like a kind of a classical Greek kind of way of thinking of deities but there's definitely some sort something of that peppered in there as well yeah I was gonna say maybe it's because with JRPGs black and white uh black and white good and evil is more black and white in JRPGs than generally it is in Western ones I wonder if that's part of it too. Because generally, it's like you you have a general idea of who is good and who is bad in JRPGs, essentially from the get go. Sometimes they use that obviously to turn it on its head, like they did in Golden Sun. But um, you know, a lot of the time in Western ones, you have your people who do good things for the wrong reasons, and it's much more nuanced. I wonder if, like, I mean, that's an interesting point to pick up because um, I've been watching quite a bit of anime recently because I've got a Crunchyroll uh, uh, subscription that's about to end. And I've been watching uh, Jujutsu Kaisen um, recently. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, I am a massive weeb. Yeah, well, I am on... I'm a massive weeb. I'm midway through season one of Jujutsu Kaisen. And, good season. Uh, and 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 I've watched quite a bit of um well yeah, quite a bit of um Demon Slayer previously as well. But that sort of there are there is good and there is evil and the evil is usually very well they try to justify their evil and they try to sort of like make it seem reasonable. Yeah, that you but find it's usually, very clear cut that you can generally look at it and go, that's the evil person. 
And usually you can even tell from the visual design. Like, even in, like, say, the opening trailer, if, like, they've, like, you can, like, hmm. I think that's the big bad for the show. Sorry, I was just thinking about someone. Someone had told me that um, Mujin from uh, Demon Slayer looks like Michael Jackson, and that's oh, all. Yep. I can... Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 Fair so enough. So, what does that say about Michael Jackson? But, but I think a lot of I, again, again, generalization, broad strokes. But I think a lot of like Western RPGs, particularly like post in the eighties and nineties. Have have this like, and in in the two thousand have this fascination with the Han Solo type character. Yeah, I think I think it's also because it's been explored so much that I guess that in a way Western media has a, had a lot more of a chance to branch out into the grey areas. I I don't know if it's it's a ch- or, or it's just like that that particular you know penchant for that particular style of storytelling. But there are... Um, it just feels oftentimes like... Yeah, cause like it's sto- just because... I'm just going based on, you know, how normally when there's a trope, people try to circumvent the trope and that ends up becoming mm. its own trope. And Yeah, but it almost often feels to me like the stories in a JRPG are more like fables and myths and big stories. Yes, um, that's, that's probably the thing that I would think of, that... Things in JRPGs, uh, the stories are just massive. It's stuff yeah. that you wouldn't normally consider. Like, who would go, yes, you see that all-powerful mighty god that could crush us with his thumb? Let's get him. But at the, here's, here's the weird thing. This is what appealed to me. So I haven't watched that much anime at all lately, because weirdly living in Japan makes it really difficult to watch anime with access to English subtitles of any kind whatsoever, because mm. the Crunchyroll just has actually gutted out of it. And the Netflix oh. doesn't bother to actually include the subtitle tracks if you're in Japan. I should oh, probably get mean. a VPN. It's like, I don't think that subtitle track is really using up any extra data. I'm already paying for the 4 gig plan. The 4K plan, whatever. Like, yeah, give me give me that at the very least. But, but yeah, pretty much unless it was a Netflix-produced production. Or even Galleon, fortunately. Um, there's no English subtitle track there. Um, but going back to, like, something I really noticed when, like, I did have my, like, heavy anime moment, which was late 90s, early aughts. Um, something that Japanese media can do, maybe a lot of Eastern media can do, that Western media just seems to fumble with a lot. This came back to mind recently because Netflix just put out their, even though it's a Western thing of a Western thing, their Avatar series, which is a lot better, incidentally, than the movie, but still not as good as a cartoon, um, is, like, they're very, very... And you see this in the um, Like a Dragon games all the time. They have this ability to just whiplash between completely ridiculous and dead serious and sometimes use really ridiculous stuff to make very, very valid social commentary points mm. without it ever feeling like you've poured lime soda into a glass of milk or something. Like, if you try and do... Like, Western shows, they try to do that and it just... It feels unhinged. Yeah, it feels very forced when the West when Western tries but to do it. But they're able to do that dance frequently. Like it's just in the DNA somehow. It's nuts. I'm gonna um, throw something interesting, but it's kind of like Bollywood, where they just all break out into dance, and it feels like it's supposed to be there. Yeah, it's nothing. Sure. It's something that Western media couldn't do. I mean, I feel like that. Oh, we try with struggles. It should be able. It feels like there's no good reason, but it just it doesn't happen very often. Like even 
Final Fantasy VII. Like, there's all these goofy games. Like, the reviews of um, Rebirth have been going, frankly, nuts. And a lot of them are like, going, oh, man, I put these cute, goofy things in there. But then, like, that thing has... I mean, the core story of Final Fantasy VII has aged shockingly well um, in terms of the themes that he's tackling. And it still gets to them, despite riding gigantic birds in a, like, theme park in the sky. Uh, yeah, and it, that's something that Final Fantasy XIV does as well, where they are generally... There are some really horrible, horrible stories in the game. Um, I believe that when we were talking about the horror podcast, we spoke about Edda, who um, unfortunately lost... Essentially, her and her adventuring party team followed the Warrior of Light through the first dungeon, thinking that it was really easy. They went to the next dungeon and ended up um, losing their tank because of it. So he died, and that started her on a downward spiral. Um, and it's this is not really pointed out to the player. You're still kind of at the beginning of the game, and it's still quite, you know, lighthearted. But, yeah, it just shows you that there are still consequences no matter what happens. And it's just, it kind of moves that dark and that light together. It's so odd. It's like, I think I read an article on Kotaku a while back about somebody complaining who was playing through Final Fantasy XIV for, for the first time and they were complaining that when you were picking up the corpses of your comrades in your inventory they turn into the symbol of a flower. It just is a flower and they were like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. It's just, yeah. Sounds it's kind of powerful in its own way actually. Yeah. It, it's It's very... But, like, before that, you were talking to cabbages, flying cabbages that are known as sylphs. Like, you know, it's... Oh, yeah, back to Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, one of the classic moments was, oh, yeah, they brought back the house you fight. You fight a literal house. Oh. <laughs> that fight was awesome, incidentally. <laughs> yeah, see, I've only experienced the train fight through the, um, the Final Fantasy XIV one. I The only other Final Fantasy I played was... Three? The one with Cecil. You know... It's so confusing because of the... They one, changed... Two, three. Yeah, the yeah. early releases had the numbers jumbled around. Sorry, Ken. Oh, a, a random thought just, just like, mm. popped into my mind. And it's, it is coming back again, like, the opposition between JRPGs, like, Eastern games versus Western. Um... I remember you and I, Tim, a long time ago talking mm. about um, what's the uh, what's the that movie Infernal Affairs, which is the which is the Hong Kong movie about you know the two cops. Uh, yeah. Well, oh my gosh, this was a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, the sort of the Martin Scorsese remake, which was what The was Departed. The Departed. Uh, where, you know, similar plot lines, undercover cop working with gangsters, undercover gangster working in the cops, and, you know, that whole cat, cat and mouse, who's the cat, who's the mouse, you know, yeah. um, 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 premise. But where I really liked the Hong Kong production, you, I believe, were more yeah, it's a, a fan of it's the... It's a very rare case where, yeah, I definitely preferred... Preferred the, 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 the Martin Scorsese. Prefer no. the Scorsese one, yeah. Yeah, but 
like the thing I the, the thing that you remarked then, which has always stuck with me, is that like the the Hong Kong one always felt too slick. Yeah. And whereas for me, the Departed always felt too grimy. That there was like that slickness, that sort of where things conveniently sort of fitted together, um, that people sort of moved about with a. It was a lifestyle catalog as a movie. Yeah, uh, uh, that, but that particular flair, that type, that type of flair, that type of perspective of how stories are told is one that I grew up with and one that um, might could be applied to um, a, a number of JRPG games where it is that slick. It is that presentation. It is that... Um, I mean, that's, that's it. A lot of the time, the JRPGs are incredibly polished, whereas yeah, they, a lot of the um, but, Western like, ones... It's all about the dirt and the grime and the, the you know the muddied faces. Um, it's about uh, realism rather than polish. It's 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 oh, it's a very it, I wouldn't say realism, but it's a very different way of perceiving yourself, and it's a very different way of perceiving your media. It's um, that overall sort of like gritty. Yeah. going for gritty, but the grit is like like. Like several film grain levels of grit is like it's, so it's much that grit. brown filter of the 360 that you were talking about yeah. before. <laughs> we just never moved away from it. Um, yeah. Whereas, but yeah, the Japanese and we. I, it's the thing we're still saying. I keep on saying the Japanese. Is like, this is where the part of the thing broke down. Is we spoke. You, um, Renee mentioned Golden Sun earlier, yeah. and also like Sea of Stars. It's like. That like if it's become a genre, people from other countries have started making them as their own kind of oh yeah love letters. But a big part of it is like the stylization. I want man. I mean, there is obviously an anime look, but there is a lot of stylistic de- deviation within Japanese animation that I think, at least when I was growing up, a lot of people did not give it credit for. It's just like the broad strokes between how ca- ca- well, like how Cowboy Bebop looks versus how how um, Pokemon look were just radically different. Yes, but they're very good at creating characters that like they represent ideas very well. Yes, yes, that that's what that's kind of what I was like trying to yeah. Um, ideas, archetypes—they're more archetypes than 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 individuals. Um, and it's just that's one for me, like one of the defining sort of characteristics of, I guess, the, this particular genre. But again, like, even the J part of it, of JRPGs, does not make sense anymore. No, because especially now we've got a lot of the ones that are out, uh, some of them are Korean, some of them are Chinese. It's and, just, yeah, it's just know. a stylistic guide. Now, I mean, there are just so many words in be- English, like, we probably well, say I, they should probably be changing it from JRPGs to ERPGs, Eastern RPGs. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also like you know, the best Zelda game is Diablo. So, oh no, Diablo sucks. <laughs> well, let me throw a curveball. Yep. Um, while we're trying to define them, is Yakuza a JRPG or is it an action adventure game? Well, you've thrown like the perfect curveball as well because like, like a dragon. 
the current ones, like, clearly is, but it's like when we're getting to the point, because it's like, it's like those end, end goals, so, like, they kind of both started, you had the first Final Fantasy and Ultima, and they kind of, like, started on their own tracks, like, went off in their own directions, and, like, where, where the end game is for what these actually want to be is, like, mm. obviously, I still enjoy the turn-based combat, but it was clearly designed at the time just based around what the consoles could do. And yep. it's possible that realistically what Final Fantasy 16 has, and what I guess Symphonia games have been doing for friggin' forever, is what a lot of these people actually wanted to happen. If they had not been held back by the limitations yeah. of their time, that's what yeah, that's how they would have played. The Final Fantasy VII Remake combat is friggin' fantastic. I really, really like that mix of the two. Although, I have to be honest, sometimes I just, I really do like a good turn-based JRPG. I, I do as well. The question is, like, it, I can't tell you objectively, is that something I think it has its own individual merit, or is it because it's baked in as something that I enjoyed when I was 14, 15 years old? No, I think it has I something that... I have developed that, a taste for. I think it's something that has its own merit. I mean, Pokemon has been living off it for years. Yeah, the Pokemon combat's never actually been very good. Man, we've just run shade in this podcast. <clears throat> I, I've never, I've never, I keep on trying to play Pokemon and never get very deep into it and then I give up again. Yeah. Try Monster Hunter Stories. There's something that I really liked about that that I didn't like about Pokemon, which is kind of in a similar vein, is that with Monster Hunter Stories, it was a simple rock, paper, scissors format but... rather than the everything kind of like yeah. got convoluted with Pokemon. <laughs> And the rock, paper, scissors is still, honestly, well, there's a reason, like, that is still used as a game to decide shit to this day, because mm-hmm. it works. Like, it's simple, yeah. mechanically, it makes sense. Um, and yeah, it, it works. There's something I did actually want to, like, try and circle back to. Sorry. I guess with the idea, so, I guess the idea, like, that we briefly mentioned character creation earlier, which is just such a quintessentially, let's say, CRPG thing. I guess it's like, the Western games are like, and it goes back to that original Dungeons and Dragons where you had a dungeon master and you were making shit up as you went. More, I mean, you kind of had like a book guide or like a scenario playbook or whatever, but you were kind of inventing your own story as you went. Whereas say, that maybe ideal CRPG. never existed Sorry. on the other yeah, side. Yeah, because maybe the CRPGs are more about putting yourself in the character, whereas in JRPGs, it's about the yeah. character's already there. No. And you're just telling you the story. Yeah. Sort of the thing. also means they're able to much better design the characters. Um, so you do get some classic iconic iconic designs that then kind of work with the personalities or like work with the things the stories. Whereas you don't, you cannot take that for granted if you are making Mass Effect or if you are making a Baldur's Gate. I was about to say like like a game like Mass Effect or even Starfield, Oblivion, you know that sort of thing. Where ostensibly you are playing, well, mo- I try to play myself, and and I try to create myself in that world. Um, it's it's separate from from all of this talk. It's just really funny how much time you can spend in a character, in a creator character, and, and the, the character creator, and then actually for the majority of the game, you don't actually never see really yourself. see yourself. I'm just trying Although... to think if there's any Japanese um, role playing games that. Oh, I'm I'm sh- I'm absolutely sure that there are. I'm imagining some character creators in my head. I just can't bring the game to mind at the moment. The only thing I can but, think of 
but it's not even a proper character creator is when um, Fire Emblem, when you're playing as either the male or the female character. But oh, it'll always then, be. Is it Enchanted Arms thing? No, I, I'm not sure, but um, the weird. I think the weird thing with that character creator, and then like you kind of create your own Lanks ladies. I know that's technically, technically opening up more freedom, and you can you have your choice to play any way you like. But and this is part of me being broken, is I feel like I don't have permission to not act in a certain way, and it's very difficult for me to break out of that. Where it's okay, I'm going to actually go to another CRPG. We're going to Eastern Europe, though, so I guess we're coming in the middle, like The Witcher Three, because Geralt was such an established character and is like so well known. What witches were, and like the game just kind of like communicated that to you. You didn't have to have read the books or even have played the previous games. Um, I would normally be like the goody two shoes in that game and do like everything for free out of the goodness of my heart. Mm. But like having that established personality, like le- really allow me to lean into what he might do. And mix up the way that I actually approach things. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, I think you've brought up effectively almost an an, an existential question about like role playing. It's also, games. I think, it's a double edged sword because it, it. Do you give the player more freedom by not having an established character, or do you go with the established character, which restricts the pre- the player's freedom but makes them see something from a different perspective that they may not see yeah. initially. So- that's that's what I meant. Like when when we're talking about role playing games, what is the role that you're playing? Are you playing the role of yourself in the game, or are you playing the role of the character that is in the in the in the story? I mean, you have like a like, fairly broad split almost, there, where the JRPG is you are playing the role of a character. Yeah, yeah. Because and I think with a lot of Western ones, you are playing as yourself as a character. Correct, and that's kind of what I meant. Like we've sort of somehow, you know, come back full circle, back to our original point, but, like, there is an existential, like, underlying, like, in, it's not so much, it's not whether it's a JRPG or a, a CRPG, it's the RP part of that RPG, like, who are you role-playing? Um, and I wonder if that also has some kind of... uh bearing on the story that is told, because, like we were saying, that the JRPGs tend to have bigger stories right, and yeah. more elaborate whereas the western ones it's more personal can, yeah it's more personal it's often a, you have to work quite hard to get to the part of saving the world if that's the end goal yeah because i'm guessing that if you are having like if you have an established character you already know like they've already got everything settled and they don't have to worry about trying to clue the player in on hmm. absolutely everything. Well, Some like, of it will be... What I'm wondering is if, like, Commander Shepard were more of an established character and, like, had a bit of a, like, more of a rough-and-tumble... Let's let's say, like, refresh Star Wars Captain Kirk about him. Would more people choose Renegade options? Probably. I mean, I that think was a very that, one-sided... That... Like, I think Bioware released a data and, like, 95% of people were Paragon. Yeah, but but I also think they they try to imbue at least throughout the series the, the the series of the first three games they try to like the sequel establish some choices were valid and some choices were not so they they did try to at least put some parameters as, around like what within I the think main it's line. Also in a way that's a, a commentary on the pe- the person playing because I know that even in video games I have a lot of trouble doing the wrong thing. 
Yep. That's again. That's why I want a character who will let me do said thing. Yeah. Like, like almost you get that you get um social license to behave in a particular yeah, way. Yes, like this guy's already an asshole, so like <laughs> this this character is obviously yeah, it's obviously the asshole. So I would be playing the role of that character. Hooray! Is, I get to play get a dick. To, yeah, 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 yeah. But the, but again, you know, existential question: Who are you role playing? Like, it's the RP component. It's not so much the J or the C or whatever, whatever it is. It's like, it's it's an existential question. Um, it just it seems like that the the way that it can be the easiest way it can be defined is how they've approached the role playing part mm. of role playing game. Yeah. Or is like again like the original Japanese RPGs? Did they? just call it RPG because that's what the games they were copying were called without even really thinking about what that necessarily was supposed to entail. That's probably entirely true. Yeah, probably. And at that point, probably. And, like, who cares? They ended up making some pretty good stuff in its own own right. And you've got to remember that, like, back then, we didn't have action as a genre. Action wasn't really there. It was, like, side-scroller rather than action or platformer. It was only when we started getting to 3D stuff that they started was, adding yeah, the there was plenty. One. There was plenty of action. It was just all... It was trying to use all side-scrolling. Yeah, the 3D... Yeah. ...behind-the-camera action game literally could not have existed. Yeah. So a lot of the, the what we define as action today just couldn't have existed. So maybe they might have been action games if action as a genre was... Ex- existed then. Maybe video game genres in general are just dumb. I mean, adventure game still refers to specific puzzle solving just because that was a way we could make it a game that way you went on an adventure in. But it got lo- because we think about games with mechanics too much, that just kind of got stuck together. Oh, it's crazy because there's genres and then there's subgenres and then there's subgenres of subgenres. Like for, I was when I was looking into the next fest games, um. There was a game that was the sub-genre of the bullet hell sub-genre called Bullet Heaven. And I was just like, this is kind of getting ridiculous. (laughs) It's just Uh, some boxes we made to put everything in a kind of broken. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we are coming to the end of our discussion here. Um, any final comments from anybody we, on the panel? What are we, what are we going to call Dragon Do- Dragon's Dogma 2? Is a Japanese team making what looks like a Western-style RPG? I guess the first one as well, Western-style RPG. Like, where does that fall? Yeah. And also, like, all of the Demon Souls are pretty much hardcore dungeon crawlers, so... Which, well, uh, then yeah, they're dungeon we, crawlers. That's... Just... <laughs> Like, I mean, part of the thing is, like, mechanically RPG stuff is, like, get out of my Assassin's Creed, actually. Ugh. Like, it's just, like, bled into, like, everything to the point where it has made it easy to say yeah. that. Is, and that's the, the question, like, is Final Fantasy sixteen an RPG, or is it, an, or is it an action game that just has a lot of RPG creep in it? Well, if that's the case, you could probably even be, like, if we're you- defining RPG as the ability to grow, you could always be, like... You could almost be like, well, technically, Resident Evil Four is also. What I'm saying is, yeah, there is literally a good argument on both sides of that. Yeah, 
Well, on, let's leave it on that particular note. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the uh, Pixelcast. Uh, Tim, where can people find you on the internet, and do you have anything to spruik? I mean, recently published a piece basically saying there is too much Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yes, you I did. Mean, I, I have I have reasons for it. Think about think about John Wick Four, where the ba- bad guy and that guy was saying he doesn't want to kill John Wick; he wants to kill the idea of John Wick. My thesis is kind of like a flip flip of um, that thing. Aside from that, I am at pretend beard in most of the places, mostly blue sky these days, because X can just go get fucked. Yeah. And Renee, where can people find you, and uh, what do you have going on? Uh, so I'm still doing the Final Fantasy fourteen lore bites, which have been nice. going up every weekend, I think, is what they're scheduled. Yes. Um... I just finished a whole rash of Next Fest videos, and I'm going to be helping Paul with his Sage shorts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not calling it X, Twitter. Um, Blue Sky Threads. I don't post a lot, to be honest, because unless something really gets me annoyed or there's something really interesting, you'll usually find me conversing with the indie devs on there. Um yeah. And hopefully when the side order review comes out, I will have finally figured out how to explain it. (laughs) (laughs) And you can find me at Pixel Hunt on Blue Sky and Twitter. And I think I've got a couple. I do not have the output rate that Renee has. You've been killing it with all the shorts and and videos. Um, I I may have taken like a two week break as well, because I was just like, I've, done a ridiculous amount of videos I probably should I was going to say I was, well if you did take a two week break it did not feel like it based on the feeds on, on the social media feeds of player two because like the content is still pumping uh, yeah well the, the thing is is that the PAX videos are technically still going yeah the, yeah and then we added the those ones I'm, I'm really worried that I am overworking Paul yeah <laughs> Or no, is he no, no. overworking you and he's just got you tricked? Uh, thank you very much, everybody, and we will see you soon. We will? And we're out. We'll be, we'll be heard, or something. No, oh, we're out, Tim. We're out, where are we? Uh, You're my favorite boss. Well, you might want to timestamp this.